This is Lisa DeLay, and you are listening to the Spark My Muse podcast. This is Soul School Lesson 108, Worlds Within Worlds. Before I get into that, I wanted to say thank you to everybody who came out last Tuesday, September 11th, 2018, to hear the first class of Beginning in the Contemplative Way, which was live on Facebook. There were about 150 people who viewed that so far, and more all the time as the replay is available. If you want to see the replay of that class, it is uh, on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash sparkmymuse. It's an introduction to the course, which is five more classes besides that first one. And you can be a part of the class, which is going to be live each Tuesday for the next five consecutive Tuesdays. Go to sparkmymuse.com and click on Soul School course to enroll. When you do, you will get to go to a secret private Facebook discussion page where the class is held, and you will also get worksheets to fill in for each lesson that will help you retain the information and discuss it with the other students, other learners on that page. And we can go into deeper discussion there. You will also get to view the lessons and the replays over and over again if you'd like, or move to different sections of them if you want to. And this will be available to you to get any time it will be permanently available in my selection of courses. It would be great to have you live, too, because there will be some time for interaction. So jump on that right away. Get registered at sparkmymuse.com. I really look forward to seeing you all in the class as soon as possible. Today I'm going to be talking a little bit about what it's like to be experiencing life and being aware of the worlds within our world. When I was a kid, I remember opening up books for the first time. I was able to read chapter books. And I remember opening up a book that talked about someone also opening up a book and that world being open to them. And it almost reminded me of like two mirrors facing each other where the world could be reflected back and forth sort of forever. And how books open up a world within our own world. And even the characters within the book can also do the same thing. And there can be nested worlds within worlds within worlds. And just the idea of that being possible or that being able to be comprehended or created gave me such a thrill for my imagination and such an interesting leap forward in my sense of consciousness as a person, as a little girl at the time. But that joy or thrill never really has left me. And as I've delved into the ideas of becoming aware and, and exploring consciousness in terms of awareness and presence, those themes have never gotten less interesting to me at all. I was watching a video from Richard Rohr from quite a while ago, perhaps 15 years ago, which I will link to in the show notes for this episode at patreon.com forward slash sparkmymuse for episode 108 of Soul School. If you'd like to watch the entire video, it's about an hour long. And I took some notes from this fascinating talk where Richard Rohr talks about presence and consciousness, and he talks about the contemplative way as creating space in our lives to be more aware and more present to ourselves, but to the people around us as well. 
those spaces and those times that we do that where we can be aware of the presence of God. And not just because it makes us less anxious or uh, less susceptible to anxiety from the fire hose of information and media and chaos in our lives, although that's a fantastic side benefit, but also because it nurtures us and cultivates the ground, for Christians anyway, for Christ-likeness, or maybe for Sufis, uh, it would cultivate the ground for the love of God. Uh, for every tradition and every person trying to improve themselves, this contemplative way of awareness and creating space and stepping back and looking back in to your life and to your actions and creating solitude and silence and space creates a better atmosphere for thoughtfulness, for kindness, for compassion. And a lot of us want more of that in the world. And it starts, of course, in our own hearts. I took some notes from this that I want to share with you today. But the one thing that struck me was this idea of worlds within our world. So we perceive the world one way, and then we come to find out that, of course, that everybody is perceiving the world in their own ways. And these worlds can collide if we have different ideas of what should happen in the world, too. The competing worldviews or ideas of how the world should be are bumping up against one another all the time. And sometimes we can have a hard time finding common ground, seemingly. But in fact, it's usually easier than we think because humans tend to want very similar things at their core. We're all wired and geared and longing for belonging and to feel accepted and to feel safe and to feel noticed. And these are common to humans, and we tend to gather around the things that will make us feel those ways. And that's not a weakness, it's really a strength. But sometimes it is exploited for bad purposes. Richard Rohr talks about Thomas Keating and the boat exercise. In some circles, this is a very famous little exercise, little parable, if you will. Keating describes this as sitting... Imagine sitting yourself on the bank of a river and looking at all boats that are passing by on the river. Some are big boats, some are little boats, some are passing quickly, some are passing slowly. Each one of those boats could be thought of as our feelings, our worries, our concerns, concerns of the world, concerns of our life. And in the times that we are trying to create space for ourselves and even Christ-likeness, where we need to be aware to do th such things, where we need to have times of prayer, meditation, solitude, silence, we can't jump on any of those boats and take a boat ride. We need to stay on the bank and just let the boat pass. And a boat might come up and be a feeling of insecurity or feeling of desperation or feeling of anxiety or anxiousness. And the temptation is, oh, quick, run on the boat. It's going to get away and then then you'll miss it and something's going to go wrong. Temptation is to jump on the boat. And when you do, you get taken on a ride. But you can also see those feelings and thoughts and events and circumstances as, you know, there's another boat coming. I'm going to let this boat pass. I'm going to see what the next boat is. And then when that boat comes, I'm going to watch it pass as well. 
And for the time that you have carved out for yourself, you will just let the boats pass because it's a river and there's always going to be boats. And you can still give yourself a sacred time that is undefiled by any of the anxieties, worries, and concerns. And really that space carved out for yourself, this world within your world, is sacred space. And it's where you get to become fully human again. A lot of times we we don't get to access our full humanity because we are putting on what is sometimes called a false self or the self we present to the world, the competent self or the fabulous self, <laughs> the self that has it all together or the self that has a certain role in the world, perhaps wife, mother, teacher, director, boss. Even victim can be a role as well. If that is the way that people understand you in the world, the false self is the self that can be insulted. It's the self that wants to grasp. It's the self that becomes jealous. It's the self that becomes impatient. It is the self that is involved in the bondage of you so that you cannot become your true authentic self hidden in Christ or hidden in God's love. And Rohr talks about that there is always a dance between our true selves and our false selves. And the false self doesn't have to be seen as totally wrong, totally bad, totally horrible. It's just not the true self, the authentic self. The false self needs to come to the fore for things that we need to do in our regular lives, like teach or parent or get our job done. But when we are totally attached to it or overly attached, that lays us bare to being attacked at that false self and become injured in a way that is needlessly painful. Because we don't have to defend the false self. The false self can fall away. We're not actually attached to it. We only think we are. It's not part of who we truly are at the core of our humanity, at the core of who we are as God's beloved. And at the core of who we are is the only place we can offer ourselves and others real presence. To be truly present to another is to be ridding ourselves of all the extraneous ego and false self that we have and just connecting person to person. The ego is aroused, the false self is aroused when we compete with each other, when we're aware of the competition, or we compare with each other. I wish I was here, but I'm here. This person has that, but I have this. I wish I was here by now, and I'm only here. I thought it would be different. I'm disappointed at this outcome. That's a comparative perspective of how you're living your life or how things have been going on a timeline. Anytime you catch yourself differentiating by comparison, you can be assured that your ego, your false self, is going to take some blows to it, is going to take some injury and some wounds. And to be relieved from the pain of that experience, it's helpful to know that that is not your truest self. That is the lampshade on the lamp. And the lampshade can change, and the lampshade can be shredded and burned and destroyed. But you are the light, not the lampshade. The lampshade is 
the the thing that people see or the thing we present or the thing that we've had to put on that people see in the world or the regalia that people see in the world when they see us. Perhaps it's the rumors people have told or it's the reputation that's preceded us. But it is only, after all, a lampshade. It can be discarded for a new one or you can just let your bulb go bare and shine in the world which is sometimes a little too harsh for a lot of people, a little too harsh for the world, a little too blinding. In this way, when we are not attached to this false image of ourselves, this lampshade, we can never lose our true dignity because our dignity is found in who we belong to and who we truly are, who we come from, and who our source is. And that source, of course, is our beloved. Our beloved is ours, and we are our beloveds. And this, of course, is a great mystery, how this works and how this plays out in daily life and how we can't quite wrap our brains around it and live into it every single day and every single moment. And that's why living in the contemplative way, this is what I'm talking about quite a bit in this course that I'm teaching over the next five more weeks, how we live in this way is a, a daily practice is a daily breathing in and out of these truths. And there are practices, of course, of, of prayer, meditation, and certain exercises we can do to kind of get our muscles fit for this kind of way of life. But it isn't a place where you arrive. You actually receive it little by little after walking in a certain way. Presence can't be thought or thought about. Presence has to be experienced and enjoyed. It's something that you can reflect on later, but that actually reflecting at any point about presence is not presence itself. So these worlds within worlds, when we find ourselves in the moment of presence, we've actually stepped out of that world already. But being truly present with ourselves and being truly present with others has a complete timeless quality and a complete eternal quality to it. It has no self-consciousness. It has no ulterior motive. It is an open moment with open hands and open heart. And it is, in that moment, completely a risk. And it is the only moment where you can connect with people in the richest of ways that can change your life and someone else's life forever. You can be yanked out of this presence and this, the present moment at any time for almost any reason or almost any interruption or almost any thought or feeling. When you experience those moments of true presence and true spaciousness, it truly changes you and works your inner ground it works the inner life you have, this inner ground, for the better. The longer you can stay in these moments of presence, where you are, not thinking about the past and feeling guilt or ruminating on it or what could have been, and not planning for the future where anxiety steps in, but living and breathing and being where you actually are right now. This can't happen all the time because we have to live our lives on a timeline, but it certainly should make up a lot more of our day. The higher the prestige you have 
and the more good standing you're in, the higher education and knowledge you have obtained, and the more you're known for doing good or being impressive, the harder it is to take off this false self and subdue this false self because you feel that a lot of is expected of you and people impose on you their expectations. Oh, you have this degree, you must be such and such. Oh, you have this important role, this status, you must be such and such. And they impose these things on you and you take them in and internalize them quickly. And it is harder and harder to shed the false self, the lampshade. The lampshade starts to get really fancy and you start to confuse it with who you really are. And sometimes those humiliations are gifts in our lives. When we mess up, we can think of it as a gift, a gift of a humiliation to know that we aren't the lampshade. The lampshade got all these danglies on it and the danglies got, and the fringe got tangled and it looks silly. And that's fine that the lampshade looks silly because the lampshade is not you. As you attach to the ego, this lampshade, it also is attached to the unscrupulous and it needs something to push against instead of the emptiness because it feels like nothing when you are attached to it. There's a poverty to it and there's a desert place to it. When you rid yourself of this lampshade, this ego, it feels like nothing's left. It feels like an emptiness. It feels like pure being. And so the world standards for who you are and what you should be and what you should have accomplished are torn away and it feels like language fails you of what yourself should be, of what your identity should be. Because you're hanging on to nothing anymore, it seems like it's a strange and mysterious place. And that's the place that you put yourself in on purpose to discover who you really are, which is to say, that it is a place of yielding. It is a place where you don't have to know who you are and you can be at peace knowing that you're hidden in Christ. So you're letting go of what you don't need, which is almost everything you thought you needed. I love how Richard Rohr says, the true self, the authentic self that's hidden in the beloved, gives a joy that the world cannot give, can never give, and we rest in God and we find peace because we have nothing to protect. We have no lampshade to protect. And we have heaven then in our hearts. We have heaven in our hearts that we carry all the way until heaven. It's a very beautiful thing to think that heaven is available now because we are hidden in our beloved. Wherever God is, is heaven. And when we are hidden with our beloved in our innermost being, there's nothing and no one that can take that away. And this is the peace that passes all understanding. It's not a simple trick to find it. And it's not a pill you take or a service you go to or a prayer you pray or a bunch of practices you check off your list to get it. It is, is walking in a certain way. It is longing for the beloved. I love the verse that is attributed to King David in the psalm, like a deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. And it is in the idea that the presence of God alone, not for any benefit that we can get other than that, anything else we might get is wonderful, is frosting, <laughs> but that within 
this world, there are many worlds. There is also the world of our interior life, our mind, our interior world. And within that world is the hidden life of the beloved. And you are always welcomed into that world. It isn't a secret world. It's just a world you awaken to. That it's available to anyone because God's presence is always available. I hope some of this has been helpful to you and that you can reflect on it. This is probably one of those episodes you need to go back and listen to again. It's one that will require a lot of editing on my part because I was just freestyling mostly. If you'd like to reflect on some of these things, share some of your ideas, some of your own reflections, some of the pieces of your own inner world, I invite you to go to the show notes, which will be free and open to the public this time. Usually it's for supporters who support at $1 or more. Just go to patreon.com forward slash spark my muse for this episode, Soul School Lesson 108. And I encourage you to leave your comments and reflections about the themes of this episode and some of the themes in your own heart and life. What has been your lampshade? Has it been your accomplishments? Has it been your degree? Has it been your status or your role? Has it been your work? Has it been your intelligence? We all have lampshades and they can be plain or decorative. They can be small or big. They can get a lot of attention or they can go unnoticed. And we all have them and we all really need them because our bulb uh, is blinding and we all need some kind of lampshade. The lampshade isn't wrong, but we can't confuse it for the light. So I would love to hear some of your reflections and some of your own thoughts about this. And I invite you to go to the Patreon page to share your reflections in the comments section. The next guest interview will be Clint Sabom of the Contemplative Light podcast. He will be sharing his story and some of the work at the Contemplative website. So come back again next Wednesday. See you then.